guys, these glads be guys to give you whatever. Take your Bibles, turn to Malachi chapter 2. Don't know where Malachi is, go to Matthew and back up one. Malachi chapter 2. I was reminded again this morning how uh, special my wife is, she told me. It is interesting how God does things and... um, she comes in the kitchen this morning. I've been up for a while, and, and so she comes in the kitchen. She said, what would you do with yesterday's paper? I said, I threw it away, as I am wont to do. She goes, well, you need to read something that was in it. And I said, okay. So she does something I've never seen her do. We've been married 40 years. She starts going through the garbage. I said, Mary, it's all right. We got money. You don't have to go through the garbage. We're going to be all right. She goes, no, you need to read this. And so she pulls this part of the paper out of the garbage from yesterday and hands it to me and says, read this. I read it. And literally, I haven't told her this yet because I didn't, didn't get a chance if I left. She said, read this. Literally, I've been working on this message for a number of weeks. And as we're looking at honoring our vows and what it means to be a believer priest. And then as a leader, how tough this passage in Malachi is, a leader of the church. I've been praying about all week and again yesterday and, and even last night and trying to watch my baseball team play. I'm a huge Cardinals fan, as you know. I figure out what word obstructing means. I like it. It's a good word. But I couldn't even enjoy the game because it was, it was such a burden on me of trying to get out how important this is, this idea of us being believer priests in our world. And literally what I pulled out of the garbage morning and read, I'm going to read to you more exactly what I And I got it from my wife who said, you need to read this. It shows you how important it is as a believer, the person that God brings into your life, marry and commit yourself to. For Mary and I have been married 40 years. As you know, we talked about that. We talked many times. Just, uh, I think it was seven when we got married. It was really, but 40 years goes by. All that I have learned and all that we've been through and and so much has shown me. And and you just realize, sometimes you don't say it, your spouse as often should, but you, you realize Particularly as we get into relationships here in Malachi, how special your wife is, special husband is. Particularly over time, when you look back, you see how God was in this. And a particularly young man, how desperate I needed Mary. Did I say it all right? Sweet. I was reading a story this week about this couple who been married 60 years. I thought 40 years was a long time. They've been married 60 years. And the, and the wife had this box. And the husband knew you don't, you're, one of the things they agree is this is my box, my private. You do not, kind of like having a diary, <clears throat> you do not open my box, you do not read my diary. So it was her little sealed box that um, he was to never open, kind of like your wallet. Your wallet's yours, right, guys? No, I did. You think it is. Anyway, <laughs> don't fool yourself. I went somewhere the other day to, uh, uh, I don't even carry money, I'm not allowed to. I said, well, I'll go to Mary's purse, see if she's got any cash, maybe I can have some. So anyway, they've been married 60 years and they had the box, he was never to touch her box. And uh, so after their 60th anniversary, he said, he said, I'm gonna let you look in the box in there. So he opens the box, he opens the box, it had two doilies in it and $25,000 in cash. And he goes, what is, what is this? We've been hoarding money. What is this? He goes, well, my grandmother taught me a long time ago that when I got mad at you, she thought I would do regularly. That instead of fighting and getting mad and angry, just to knit a doily. And the guy looking at this, and he says, there's only two in here. It means you really only got mad at me twice. 60 years to $25,000. Oh, I saw the money I made on the other doilies. So you know, you don't, you don't know. What you do know, as we look at relationships, how special as a believer, your spouse is. Now, look at Malachi chapter 2. And if you'll notice the top of your handout, we began this a couple of weeks ago, and as we continue to work through the book, 
One of the things I want to remind you as we look at this idea of honoring your vows, we're not specifically and, and only talking about marriage vows. We will get into that probably next week. But it's the idea, and particularly what we're looking at right now, is that as a priest, you take a vow. And it's a twofold application that you see in Malachi and that we need to understand as we look at this. Number one, Every believer is a priest, and we've dealt with that, and we're not going to go back over all that. But in the New Testament, it's clearly taught every believer is a priest. And the job, and this is why I'm going to share with you in a few moments what I dug out of the garbage today under the, the admonition of my sweet wife was so apropos. We need to understand that as believers, priests of God, every believer is a priest in our culture it's absolutely vital we understand our two roles as a priest. Our two roles are to take people to God and to represent God to people. The other application, and the one that's so personal for me beyond being a, I'm, I'm believe, I am a believer, I'm also a priest. But the other specific moment of the moment application, which also applies to me as a leader, we talked about Chad and Rhett and our other elders and pastor teachers last week, is that as a leader of the people of God, there are certain very serious responsibilities God expects us to shoulder. We're going to talk briefly about that. We, we dealt with it last week. We're going to highlight it and move into the next part today. But that it is absolutely vital that leadership understand and model that for you so that when you go into the world, you can be everything that God called you and placed you here to be for this moment in time. I was having lunch with a, a, a fellow pastor of one of our local churches here this week. Wasn't having lunch. We were just sitting in his office talking. And he brought up a verse that is very special to me and, and is so apropos in us understanding this. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. I will build it. And it's so important that we understand, we, corporately as the body of Christ throughout the world, but locally, as for example, we are Christ Church Arlington. We have Christ Church Bartlett. One church, we have two campuses. You have uh, Bellevue Arlington, for example. They have two campuses. Faith Arlington, they have their campus in Bartlett. There are local churches. There's one universal church. There are some groups that are going to be surprised when they get to heaven and find some of us there. They're going to be surprised when they get to heaven and find music there. But they're going to really be shocked when they get there and see people like me, for example, there. And maybe some of you. But the, but the bottom line is there's one universal church. And in the local church is a tool that Christ has chosen to work through. We're going to deal with that a lot at the beginning of the year. But one of the things that we have to understand is how real, how special, and how, I don't know any other way to put it than, than priority-wise, needs to be before my eyes every day. That as I go into the world, I go as a priest of the one true God, wherever you happen to be at the moment, whatever you may be doing. You have your job to do, you have your responsibilities, whatever they are, above all of that. Your organizational chart begins with, I am a believer, priest. Everything else falls in place under that. What's husband, father, grandfather, pastor, teacher, whatever you might be. Wherever you may go, you go, you go under that umbrella. So as priests, we dealt with this last week. We're not going to go through all of the things that we talked about last week. But as priests, we have the call that's on our lives. We talked about that. And then we looked at, last week, our covenant. And a covenant means our solemn vow. Vows you take before God as a child of God. This is who I am, both twofold application as a leader, 
but also as a believer. And you see it there on your, your handout. It's filled in for you. Your call, your covenant. You are to listen to God, live God's word, not just talk about it. Teach God's word and turn people from sin. This is where we left off last week. So I want you to go to Malachi chapter 2, verse 6. Malachi 2, verse 6. Now, specifically in the, in the immediate application, he's addressing the priests. The priests were all Levites. We talked about this briefly last week. They, they were commissioned by God as that tribe through which God would minister to the other tribes. And they were taken care of by the tithe. People brought into the storehouse and the Levites were taken care of by the gifts the tithe, and literally in the Old Testament it was a tax to take care of the temple where the Levites were, but it was to be freely, willingly given, and it was to be the best. We talked about that in Malachi chapter 1. They were to bring into the storehouse to take care of the Levites. So the Levites and the priests who came from that tribe had a very serious responsibility and accountability to the people and obviously to God to do these things, to listen to God. Not to men. Listen to the voice of God, the word of God. To live it. What does the book teach? And then live that way. To teach God's word. Not what you want. Not what they want to hear. Paul talked to Timothy about this in his epistle. And Timothy was his son in the faith to whom he was going to pass the baton. And Timothy was going to carry forward. And Paul said to him, in the last days, by the way, we're in now, and it's so evident, the Bible is so relevant, the last days began when Jesus came, they will end when he comes back. We're in the last days now, but Paul said in the last days, people will heap up, pile up teachers, ostensibly of the word of God, teaching people what they want to hear. They have itching ears and being taught what they want to hear as opposed to the truth. What does truth do? It sets you free. There are, and and I'm not going to mention names because we just uh, take the time to get into all that, but there are teachers with huge ministries and and sell incredible numbers of books. Have uh, Some of them have their own uh, cable networks. What they teach is not the truth of the word of God, but what people want to hear that makes them feel good. You know, sometimes, that's the message from Malachi, sometimes I need to be challenged that maybe there's something in my life that needs to be changed. Maybe there's something in my life that's not exactly where God wants it to be. As my father, and I want to come back to this before we get into any more scripture today, it's so important you remember as we walk through Malachi, God is giving them this message, God's messenger, Malachi, giving them the message of God. The first message was, do you care? I've shown you grace and I've done all this. Do you care? If you do, let's start with honoring your vows. Be a man, be a woman of integrity. Be a believer priest who is honest, who is living the truth. Not perfect, but living it. Admitting faults, taking to God, confessing sin. And the point being, God was saying all of this and began it by saying this. I love you. I have loved you. I am loving you. And I will continue to love you despite your, remember in chapter 1, despite your Spitting in my face, turning your back on me. We're going to see we get in the next week, committing spiritual adultery, all those things. I still love you, and I want you to come back. I want you to repent. I want you to understand how special it is that you are my children. And even he's going to use the metaphor, I am your husband, and you committed adultery with another. I'm hurt, but I still love you, and I still want us to have that special fellowship we have. I won't turn my back on you. You see, the message of the Bible, the word that runs throughout the Bible that that ties the whole thing together is the word covenant. 
Your Bible's divided into the New Covenant and the Old Covenant, New Testament, Old Testament, and it runs throughout. And the primary message of covenant in the Bible from God's perspective is when he makes a covenant vow, a solemn promise, he always keeps it, always. Whereas his people, we see here in Malachi, and we know in our own lives, we sometimes take presumption upon God. We don't our vow. We don't take them seriously. Our vows to him and before him. We'll see as we begin to look at relation. So our covenant vows, our solemn promise as priests, specifically in leadership, I want to deal with that for a moment. For those of us, the pastor, teacher, and elder, those who stand up and open the word of God and then lead congregations, shepherds under the great shepherd, under shepherd. If you read, as, and we're not going to get into all the verses, we just don't have time. But as you read through the Bible and God addresses, you see it here, there's many, many passages, even in the New Testament, where God is addressing those who are going to lead his sheep. He says, understand, and I'm obviously paraphrasing, that I, God, love my people. I take it very seriously when you lead them astray. And on Judgment Day, you will pay a serious price leading my pull astray. So when you stand up before them, as I do now and do regularly, others do. You do. You listen to me. You get in the Word of God. You find out what it says, not what Randy's opinion is. And then you live that way. Then when people encounter you, you're not perfect, but they know he really is serious about his faith. It's important to him to be Christ-like. He wants to live out not just what he says. He wants to practice what he preached, pardon cliche. You live it. And then when you go to teach, you teach God's word. Not tell people what they want. You tell them the full counsel of the word of God. Now, I want to focus on the last one. Because the ultimate goal for me as a leader, for you as a believer priest, is to be involved in the lives of people and turn them from sin. Why? What is the wages of sin according to the Bible? It's what? Death. Not physical death, even though the wages of sin is literally physical death. Original sin brought death. I understand that. But the wages of sin is death or, a se- or separation from God. We are all born sinners because of original sin. We're separated from God. That's the gospel. Jesus came to bridge that gap. Then out, he bridged it by coming, dying on the cross as the perfect sin, the propitiation that satisfied God's demand. Somebody's got to pay for sin so that he conquered, the Bible says, sin and death. By dying in our place, rising from the dead, he conquered sin and death. He says in Revelation, I have the keys of death and hell. Hell, eternal separation from God. So I, our goal then Once I am born again, my sin sin destiny has been taken care of by Jesus Christ. I will spend eternity with God because he died on the cross. I am born again. I am his child. I still sin on a regular basis. I deal with that as a believer. That's part of being the sanctification process. But my goal as an individual believer, as a leader of the church, and your goal as a believer priest is to share with everybody you possibly can that they can turn from sin. Because what's the wages of sin? Death. You do not want anybody, even your worst enemy, to spend eternity separating God. Why are we here? Why has Jesus not come back, taken us home, and we're all in heaven just having a good time? Why is that? Because God still wants to look at the last one. What does he still want? What is he still doing? People are being turned from sin, being saved, being born again, repenting and coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. Getting saved. That's our goal. I'm going to ask you a question. I do not want anybody to, but I do want you to think. In your personal life, your prayer life, 
How often find yourself praying, agonizing over the salvation of somebody, you know, whether family, a neighbor, a co-worker. It should be, it should be right there in prayer line that you're burdened for people who don't know Jesus. Most of us, it's, you probably have family members that that's the case. I know I do. I know Mary does. That you're just not sure. But forget family members for a moment. Maybe you pray for them. What about the guy next door to you that you just don't like? Anybody got one of those? We probably do. What about the guy you work with that just can't? Let's say Chad's boss. Maybe you just can't stand your boss. We've all had that. It's some probably. Do you pray for him? How many of you are not happy with some of the people in Washington? Forget party. Do you pray for them? Do you pray for their salvation? You ought to. It should be a burden for us. Here's why. It's why we're here. So let's look at the uh, C there on your handout. After addressing the priest, he says to them, this should be what you're doing. This is your call. This is your covenant, your vow. This is who you are sworn to be. Here's your violation. Here's what you are doing. Look at verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8. What's the first word? But, as many of you know, that is my, I have a t-shirt that says it, given me by some of you, that says, it's my favorite word in the Bible is but. Here's why. You read through your passage, when you come to that word, he's about to say, here's your problem. Here's your problem. Here's what you need to fix. Isn't that what, we look at? Isn't that what we're looking for? Isn't that why we're in the Bible? Here's what, the problem is, here's what you need to fix. This was your call. This was your covenant. This is what you should have been. Here's the problem. Verse 8. But you have departed from the way. You've caused many to stumble at the law. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, that's my second favorite word in the Bible. Therefore, because when you see that word, he's going to sum up what he's been saying. And now, let me get pointed here. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible because you have done these things. I've made you contemptible and base before all the people because you've not kept my ways. You have shown partiality in the law. Your violation, you see it there on your screen, you see it there on your handout. You've departed from the way. You've caused many to stumble. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi. You've not kept God's ways, and you have shown partiality. I want to deal with leadership again for a moment because I are one. And it hurts me. I see it all the time. I was watching it again this week. Guys standing up and opening the word of God, or supposedly they're behind a pulpit and they've got a Bible. Sometimes they use it, sometimes they don't. And lying about what it says or who God is or what God wants. He's saying to these priests, look at it. You've departed from the way. You're just choosing your own way. We're going to see as we get into the next chapter, literally what they've done is adopted idolatry from the pagans that surround them. Does that sound applicable to our culture today? Instead of standing for the way, the truth, and the life, what we have done even in in faith communities is we've just said, let's just realize that every faith is the same. That's antithetical to everything Jesus stood for. He made it clear how many faiths are there that are valid. Only one. So it's important for us to understand these guys, the leader, the leaders had departed from the way. Now, just a moment. I want you to do nothing but look at me and think leaders, not just me, but leaders in general. Step out of your believer priest role for a moment and just sheep, be a sheep. Sheep are the dumbest animals on the planet and probably, I'm just kidding. I want you to look at that list and think about preachers, leaders of the church that have done these things. Departed from the way, caused many to stumble, corrupted the covenant of Levi, have not kept God's ways, and have shown partiality. Now, as a sheep, if your shepherds are doing those things, how might you feel? Confusion come to mind? Confused? Uncertain? Don't know where to go? You don't really have any direction? You don't have any leadership? 
You don't know what to do. And God mentioned it a moment ago. What's God's opinion about his sheep? He loves them dearly. And if someone is a wolf in sheep clothing, you go over and read what Jesus said about it. It's not very kind. So let's back into your believer priest role, because this is really where I want to get to for all of us, specifically for leaders, but also for all of us Christians. When you have Christian who've departed from the way, caused many to stumble, corrupted the covenant of Levi as a priest, have not kept God's ways, and are showing partiality, what's the mindset that the pagans all around us get about our God? Confusion come to mind again? Uncertainty? It's a joke. It's not real. They don't believe it. They just say it. They don't live that way. They don't really believe these things because of the way they act. Or we don't know what we believe and we don't know how to articulate. We don't talk about it. We just say, I'm doing the best I can. I hope so. Look a little more closely at this violation. Parted from the way. The singular. Unique. One way. Jesus made it clear how many ways. I am the way. Greek definite article means there's only one of these and I'm it. He goes on to say, I am the truth. I am the life. Greek definite article. The way, the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's only one path to God. Hear anybody say there are many paths to God? I think I mentioned this to you uh, the last week that we were down in Destin. I saw a local paper. Get up and get what I wanted. So I picked up a local paper and on the front of it, it had these two ladies started the chin statement. What? There are many paths to God. You know what Satan's doing? Yes. He loves that. Why? How many paths are there to God? There's only one. If you say there are many, then what you're saying is they're all equal. And Jesus is just an arrogant pig. Well, he was either that or he was God. Because he said, I'm the only way. You've caused many to stumble. This is, again, back to leaders. That's why I'm so passionate. But for all of us, it's if we're not focused on the way, if we're not real, if we're not keeping our covenant, if we're not being true to our vows, then people around us, and a lot of times I think about children when I think about this, younger people, younger folks, both students and children, but also adults, they stumble because they don't know which way's right. I hear Randy say this, but I hear my friend over here say this. I hear other people who go to church say this. What's right? See, it always comes back. What's the truth? And you think about, that's why I was talking about it earlier, we mentioned it several times, God and his sheep, he doesn't want to see his stumble. What does he want? He wants to be taken care of. What does God want us to do? Go out in the world, love, show them truth, share the gospel with them, not talk about it, live it for them so they can see that it's real. I want you to notice the next phrase in particular is leaders. They corrupted the covenant of Levi. As priests, they had a solemn vow that was the covenant of Levi that we will do this. They had corrupted that. The word corrupt, corrupted there in Hebrew literally means you have damaged this beyond use. In other words, what they were doing as priests was worthless because they, their testimony was shot. We saw last week what God said is, you guys aren't cutting the mustard. I'm going to get some up, somebody else to be the priest because you have damaged so bad. You ever work with somebody that would, would, would did a job so bad, you just forget it, I'll go back myself. I used to work with a guy. Never mind, I won't get it. It'll take too long. Literally what I would do is Mary worked for us part-time, so I'd just bring Mary in to fix he wasn't around. He, just, he would just mess up anything. He said, just, man, why don't you just go call on somebody else? He's saying to these priests, you've messed it up so badly, I can't even use your do. Stop it. You're not keeping God's way. Now notice verse 9, that last phrase. You're showing partiality. Showing partiality. So notice how he leads up to that. Departed, you've caused many to stumble, you corrupt the covenant. I've made you contemptible and base before all the people because you've not kept my ways. You've shown partiality in the law. They were so confused. God said, I've made you base and contemptible before the people because as priests, you've got it so confused and so messed. You're, you're 
cuddling up with the people who've got money, you're showing them partiality or somebody that can do something for you. Instead of treating everybody fairly and the same, which is what a priest should do, you're being unfair. And the people are confused. They don't know. Your job's lead by listening to me, then living it, teaching it. You're not doing that. You're showing partiality. Look back at verse 2 for a moment. He said, if you will not hear, if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. And then down in verse 9, he's letting them know, this is what I've already begun to do. Made you base and contemptible before the people. And here's why. Because you're showing partiality. You're not living it out. You're not keeping covenant vows. And my sheep are confused. They don't even know because their leadership, it's vital that we expect our leaders to teach the word, to model the word, and hold them accountable. If a guy says teach not to the word of God, that's not a person I should. Doesn't mean they're perfect. They won't make mistakes. They do. Deal with them. It's like, again, now we'll step into the believer priest role, just like you do in your life. How many of you are perfect? Okay, we got one of them. You're not perfect. Look through the Bible. How many perfect people do you find? One. Moses wasn't perfect. Great in God. David was seriously flawed when it came to women. What? He was a man after God's own heart. Peter, be perfect? Seriously left. But he led the church, the leader of the church. Paul comes along. He's, he takes the gospel to all the world and leads the church, Jerusalem, out. And he writes about himself. What I will do, I don't. I don't do, that's what I He wasn't perfect, but he dealt with it. What's the title of your message? Honor you what? Thou. Be a man. Be a woman of integrity. David Neff in Christianity Today was talking about leaders in roles like he said this. A broken trust in a leader's vision, reliability, wisdom, and veracity is the essence of leadership is that trust. That you have to know trust. You have to know you trust your elder. You have to know you can trust the people, word of God, that our standard truth taught, model. And then here's the other thing. I think we're going to stop here today. I'm going to get in personal relationships next because I want to share one other thing with you. So here's, here's the point. We come here to share our gifts with each other, love one another. My, my gifts are speaking gifts. Yours may be service gifts. We come as the body of Christ and we share our gifts with one another. And then where do you go? You go into the world to be what? Salt and light in the world as a believer. It's absolutely vital that we do that. It's a, it's a constant burden for me in my prayer life. We live in Memphis, Tennessee, buckle of the Bible, and constantly you see it, read it, hear it, conversation with people. I, I'm in the hospital a lot, and I just like to talk to a lot of times strangers. And what you hear is such a skewed view of who Jesus Christ really is. And a lot of times, I'm going to be brutally frank, because I are one. They're getting it, a preacher. That hurts. They're getting it from some network or on the Internet or people's books. They're not getting it from God. That's why it is absolutely vital where you go. You are a genuine believer, person of integrity, honoring your vows as a believer priest. What Mary had me pull out of the garbage this morning was from the commercial appeal yesterday. Letters to the editor. I'm just going to read briefly for two of them. In the span of a few pages in your October 20th edition, religion reared its ugly head in Iraq, Kenya, Pakistan, Somalia, and Myanmar, resulting in the deaths of thousands of men, women, and children. That's how the letter begins. Here in the U.S., there was a scary photo of the gun-toting, Bible-thumping, mouth-breathers at the Alamo, just another dangerous example of people quoting lines from ancient storybooks to further their agendas, whether it be condemning, denying women's rights, or establishing a homeland. Contrary to the popular belief of the brainwashed masses, that would be you, the Bible is not a history book, as scientists and scholars have proved. Which, by the way, aside, that's absolutely not true. And when treated as such, the effects range from silly and sad, teaching the Genesis creation story as fact, 
to catastrophic. Christians supporting Jews, stealing land from Muslims. Just imagine a world without suicide bombers, a world where Indians and Pakistanis and all the people of the Middle East live side by side in peace and harmony. Imagine a world without guilt and fear mongers or prosperity gospel hucksters preying on the weak and gullible. Imagine a world where young minds aren't contaminated with nonsense before they can tie their shoelaces. Imagine a world without religion. Now that would be heaven. Letter number two, also written by a Memphian. Could you please, just for one month, refrain from publishing all letters that quote the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all other disturbing religious diatribes commenting on the social mores of the 21st century, as if we're all circumscribed by Christian evangelicals? Well, Freudian slip. As if we're all circumscribed by Christian evangelical doctrine. There are those of us who subscribe to this newspaper who would like to read intelligent, insightful, well-reasoned comments that are supported by facts and evidence, not fairy tales. Please give the religious lunatics a rest and print a few letters that are truly worthy of space in your... I don't know either one of the people that wrote these letters. But what I do know is they're symptomatic of our culture. In Memphis, Tennessee, the buckle of the Bible Belt, they look at you as ignorant because you follow Bible thumps such as myself. You see, their view that the Bible is not a history book, where'd they get that from? It's absolutely a book of history. When it speaks on history, it speaks on science. It's not necessarily a science. When it speaks in that arena, it's true. It's not all history, but when it speaks in that arena, it's true. You know, the problem is they haven't studied the They haven't looked at it with an intelligent mindset and an objective perspective. They simply look around at Christians that they've seen or heard, philosophies that they've gotten from somebody who is a Christian. They put all that together and they come up with it. You believe this fairy tale, these fairy tales? You're ignorant. It's absolutely vital. We honest, integrity. People believe that this is true and live it and can begin to articulate why we believe. I believe it because Randy said it's the truth. No, that ain't. You need to find out why you believe. Why do I believe the Bible is true? Because it is. You can prove it. And then you get excited. You go out and live it. Here's why. I don't know who these people countered, but they might encounter you. And you can say, well, I don't know where you got that from. But let me tell you what, how it really is. Share this with you. Here's the last thing I want to say. And pray. Why is that so important? Are these people sinners that wrote these letters? Oh, yeah, by reading. Now, you can tell they're sinners even if you don't read the letters. They're people. How many of us are sinners? Every one of us. Has their sin separated them from God? Yes. Are they facing death and separation from God? Yes. And what's the only thing that will change that? Jesus Christ. Who they think story is a fairy tale. You need to show them it's not a fairy tale. It's real. It changed your life. That we, corporate, are not the ignorant masses. The instant chosen by eternal God the universe changed the world. It's a high call. We just have to honor our vows. Next week, we're going to get into some very tough stuff. Relationship. But God puts it in here. Not beat us down. And I hope you don't leave here being, I hope you live, un, un, my, my goal in this series, and particularly my goal today, for you to understand how important you are to the economy of God. That it's vital. Because they're not getting it from preachers in many cases. They need, you're a preacher. They've got to get it from you. they got to get it from you. If you're born again, that's the call on you. If you don't know, he died for you. To give you, to bow your heads, please. Lord, as we pause before you again, we just thank you that you are God. Not a figment of our imagination. Not somebody who's out there, maybe. Not something we've created as a crutch, not a fairy tale, proven, self-existent. The creator of the universe who offers us an answer to our dilemma of sin and death, the person is Christ. Lord, I pray for anyone here who may not know Jesus, that today, this would be their moment, say, yes, thank you, Lord, for dying in my place. Please forgive me, save me. And Lord, for those of us who are born again, we'd be serious about our vows before God as a believer to go into our world and make a difference. 
Be real is our acronym. Be genuine. Care about people. If nothing else, walk up to people and say, how can I pray for you? I don't want anything. Just how can I pray for you? And then share maybe why you believe in prayer. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of being a Christian. We pray in Jesus. Please stand as we sing. If you need me to pray with you, I'll be down front.